0: As I sit down to put this podcast together, I'm coming off a week's vacation, and I love my job, don't get me wrong. But you know that feeling that comes the night before you have to turn the alarms back on, get your pants ironed, and prepare to dive back into the routine? I am feeling it. That's why I'm actually sitting on my porch, ignoring much of my to do list at this very moment, and why you hear the sweet sounds of a St. Louis afternoon in the background. And despite the fact that I literally can't imagine myself being anything but a journalist in some capacity, I've never really believed that if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. That is, until I met Suzanne Corbett.
1: Oh, I would introduce myself as Suzanne Corbett. I'm a food writer and food historian in St. Louis and points beyond.
0: This episode of Abby Eats St. Louis is our full conversation with Suzanne. Producer Dory and I sat down to ask her about what it really means to be a food historian, what St. Louis's food history is like, and how you go about separating a great culinary destination from your average hole in the wall. See if you can guess what food she brought to the pod booth to share with us, and the one thing on the menu she'd recommend anytime you go to a new restaurant. also been introduced as Queen of Cuisine. Oh, that's so nice. That has been written about you. Um, And I think it's fair to say you've done a lot to earn that title, but you didn't give yourself the title of Queen of Cuisine, but back it up for me, you know. What have you done in your career to kind of land you the respect in the culinary world that you've already gotten so far?
1: Well, back in the day, I began as a culinary teacher, a caterer, a confectioner, and uh, I started to branch out from there. And the next thing you know, I'm doing food programming, food events, special events. And then I got into media communications because I wanted to be able to project my passion for food and food history and food travel out there. So I went back to school and got a BA and an MA in media communications.
0: I love that because that hits on so many of the things we talk about on the podcast is that food is about a lot more than just what you're doing in the kitchen or what somebody else is doing in the kitchen. And it does have so many different elements of our lives that touch it. You know, like you were saying, travel and tourism and just the history of it. You know, what was there something that initially made you realize you wanted to go beyond just the food itself, and kind of study it more.
1: Well, everything has a story. Everybody has a backstory. Everyone has a memory. You might have a special memory with that Starbucks coffee that you have right there.
0: I do. Photographer Andy Sidwell bought it for me this morning. I That's really need it. That's a good it. man. It is. He so is. <laughs> you
1: look at that coffee and you think, "Gee, I wonder why? Or how they got started? Who? Whoever thought you would pay five to ten bucks for a cup of coffee back in the day? You would pay maybe a buck and a half." And I know there were some people that I know that remember it was highway robbery if you paid a buck for it. Mm So everything has its own unique story, but when I got involved with the history of food, I had a curator from St. Louis County Parks take one of my cooking classes, and she asked if I could come out to Jefferson Barracks and do some kind of a food program or demonstration or something that was rooted in history. And um, see what I could do with it. You know, I could come in a costume if I wanted to. And since back when I was a kid, I wanted to be an actress. I thought, oh, my gosh, I get to perform, (laughs) I get to wear costumes, makeup, camera. Yes, I'm there. Well, I came with what I thought was an authentic costume. It was a butterick pattern that I sewed up many years ago and showed up and started doing bread. Then I got hooked into what living history and food ways and programming was all about when it came reflecting food. And that was a niche at the time that a lot of people didn't have. Mm -hmm. And I really embraced it. The niche being? Food history, Mm -hmm. food ways, historical food ways, showing you how you could... Take a particular item and relate it to a culture and a people and their success of a particular region.
0: Is there a particular flavor of St. Louis food history that really entices you or that you're most excited about? Talking about, learning about, teaching others about?
1: Well, St. Louis food history goes way beyond the toasted ravioli and the uh, popularity of the ice cream cone from the World's Fair. Mm-hmm. We are multi layered. We have so many different ethnic groups that contribute to who we are today. And you have to start back at the very beginning, which is the French colonial. If you go down to the arch today, you go into the new museum, which I hope you've been. Oh, many times, yes. Have you been through the French colonial? Division Mm -hmm. of it. And the little house in the back. It's cute.
0: Yes, it's fun. Isn't it cute?
1: And did you punch the button that said colonial food? I probably did at some point. Well, go back and take a look at that. Punch the button again because the person making bread and talking about the food waste is me. Oh.
0: As heard on Abbey Eats, as heard in the Arch Museum. Uh, That's pretty cool. Okay, so tell me what you, for people who are listening to this, because we have people from not just the St. Louis area, people who may not have ever seen the Arch with their own eyes, tell us what you share in the museum now. Well, what I share in the
1: museum, or what I should say I contribute, Mm -hmm. which I was very honored to be asked to do that, is I created a program showing the historical f- foods of the f- St. Louis French colonial Creoles, and how that was a mainstay that helped contribute to the success of St. Louis. And that also would... Uh, go back and forth with the French Paul Paul French that was speak which which was spoken and also the um, music of the era. So it was all really unique and so was the food and it helped contribute to what the culture was here. And it's that food uh, identity that gives us all, our sense of being. I think today, particularly, when people are kind of struggling with identity and, you know, the globalization, but mm-hmm. it is your food that brings you back to a center uh, point that gives you your identity, that gives you that comfort, that that you just want to eat up in more ways than one.
0: Absolutely. If they say, like, smell is really nostalgic, but I think more and more you talk to people from St. Louis, there's some kind of taste that they have that harkens them back to home here. But going back to what you were saying about the French, when I think of St. Louis, as an institution, as a city, of course, you can't not think about the French influences. But I'm not, to be honest with you, I don't really always think about French influence on our food that we think of as traditional St. Louis now, with the exception, of course, of French onion soup. We've talked about that here on the
1: podcast before. (laughs) Well, it's a different kind of French. It is, it is. But, you know, we went from French to predominantly German to Italian. And now we've got this uh, multi-racial ethnic mix that just really makes a great gumbo, a great stew that that we can embrace. But what I like about St. Louis is how all of these restaurants and even the pop-ups to the little local grocery store to the kid on the street selling lemonade. yeah It's it's all a fun mix that you can enjoy.
0: Um, Talk a little bit more about the groups that you think are influencing the St. Louis food of right now. The most, and when people like yourself look back on, you know, the 2000s, 2010s, what they are going to look back in the groups that they are going to say had the biggest influences on how we eat here. Well, you ha- you have to look at
1: the Korean culture, the Filipino cuisine, I love it, love it, love it. Me too. You have <laughs> you have to uh, also look at the the new regional developments of the uh, cuisines, such as the Vietnamese cuisine, Mm -hmm. there's a new restaurant that just opened that is now looking at the different regions of Vietnamese cooking, much like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when you were looking at Italian cooking, it was just Italian cooking. Right. Or
0: without any nuance, cooking, really. Without
1: any kind of separation of oh that's northern Italian or Chinese, which is Sichuan or Hunan or Cantonese. Now you're seeing that that definition with other Asian cuisines, which I think is fabulous. And then you have to look at some of the Bosnian and Croatian influences that are coming in. Outstanding. Different flavors, different tastes that was, it just would have been unheard of.
0: Even 10 years ago, some of them these spices that are coming on the market. You're clearly quite well versed on other food cultures besides just the one that we have here in St. Louis. But stepping out of that for a second, how do you feel like St. Louis is, as far as a foodie town, as far as a place to do the job that you do, which is talk about our food? Well, thanks to a lot of travel
1: writers and some of the other media across the country, I think St. Louis is finally getting the recognition that it so richly deserves because the recognition of, of us as a food town, a, a foodie place, a food destination is right up there with San Francisco, New Orleans. Uh, All of those great places, Mm -hmm. Seattle. Yeah. uh, My goodness, when you say, I want to go travel for food, St. Louis should be in your top five.
0: And it's really affordable. I think that's the other thing that's really helping us is we're more accessible than a lot of those cities. Well, that makes us
1: go to the top of that list. We're number one as as far as affordability. Accessibility, diversity—I mean, we've got anything you're hungry for here. Yes, but I, we've got anything you you want to drink too. I mean, we've got great wineries. Yes, fabulous craft breweries, and of course, you can't forget the our our favorite little craft brew pub that's down on Pestalozzi. There, you know, that's it's, <laughs> it's kind, of, kind of a big place. There.
0: I mean, yeah. you know, may, people may have heard of it, may not have heard of it, but yeah. um, talking about restaurants here, though, and one of you're a writer and And you have one of your books is Unique Eats and Eateries of St. Louis. And that's kind of what we're talking about here with this. And one of the things that I noticed about it first is... While it's, this was 2017 that was published, I yes. believe. Um, lots already changed. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of it has,
1: but yeah. a lot of it hasn't. Mm-hmm. The picks in my book, I chose based on its story, on its history, on its background. I tried to find restaurants and eateries that were going to have a little bit of stability based on that yes. history. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had four or five that have kind of, unfortunately, Faded away, but then again, we've had one or two that have just
0: moved digs, like, right? Like Kemos. Oh, Kemos is when I was going to mention. I think that's the other thing is there's been an evolution in a lot of them, and it's not a sad story. We're not talking about the demise of the restaurants in here. We're talking about the evolution of them. Especially you mentioned Kemos, which moved from its longtime location downtown over to Westport. It just goes to show that you know things are happening in different areas of St. Louis now. Um, I I noticed with the Four Seasons, you know, yes, it's not the same Sky Bar that it was up there before. But now it's the Cinder House. Exactly, which and is it's, phenomenal. it's got a
1: great view with even
0: greater food.
1: Not that the food was bad before, my goodness, it was still great. But it's just got a different spin.
0: Dora, did you have any questions that you wanted to ask or thought of or anything? So I know for people who are maybe looking to explore some new restaurants, some new flavors, some new neighborhoods,
1: give me kind of an intimidating experience sometimes going somewhere that you haven't been what advice oh, excuse me what advice do you have for these people who are trying to get out of their comfort zone and step into a new restaurant try something different step out get out of the car jump in and you might be a little shy but start slow i think a restaurant tour when they want to win somebody over, they always have something great when it comes to their small plates or apps. Order an app. That'll give you just a little taste of what they can do, and chances are it's going to be one of their finest dishes that'll knock it right out of the park for you.
0: You have all sorts of things on here. I mean, Tony's, you can't not have a restaurant list in St. Louis without having Tony's on there.
1: Oh, it's a great place. It's
0: a classic fine dining experience. But then you also have things like Lana's Little Eats.
1: Oh, the they're best noodle salad! So oh, nice there too.
0: They are just—it's this little place in Fox Park, and they're just a charming husband and wife who run the place. I've talked to them in the past, and. The fact that you can have a list that has both of those places on there, you know, you've got the white tablecloth and you've got the paper napkin place, and they're still both so critical to what is making us a food town. I think that's one of my favorite things about it is that it's the diversity in the options, too, as far as what you're looking to experience. How do you kind of separate the... How do I say this? The the holes in the wall from the places that are small, maybe mom and pop, but deserve a spot on this list and you want to recommend to somebody.
1: It depends on what you're hungry for. It really does. And it depends on what you're hungry for as it relates to a location on what's available. Like today... I had a taste for fresh summer berries. Now, what could I do with fresh summer berries? Well, I could go to some of the great farm markets that are around. And July, it's when farm markets really start to hit. Because people think, oh, the growing season, it's been here. In no, things don't come on to the market until July, August, and September. I'm a farm girl. I was raised in a South St. Louis truck farm. So I know this is the time for great tomatoes and and. Also, great cherries are coming in, blueberries actually in St. Louis. If you go a little bit further south, we really don't grow blueberries as such here, but <laughs> if you go a little bit south, you find huckleberries, which is like a wild, small blueberry, which makes a great pie, which I brought in today. Yes, I
0: was just going to say, it is pie season, too. Suzanne, tell us why It's you... always pie season. Yes, that's true, but it is a pretty fruit pie season. Tell us about you know how you were saying that you made this selection on purpose, and for the, the fact that you guys are listening to this, I apologize once again, because you always have to hear me talking about how- Wow. I'm sitting here staring at these delicious foods and smelling delicious foods, and you guys are listening to this, probably getting quite irritated at me, but I'm sorry. It's Talk its on. pretty. Talk on. Just, I know. I'm not drooling on the microphone. What are you talking about? Suzanne, <laughs> what did you bring here?
1: Well, it just came fresh out of the Fetterhofer's of Oven, which is one of the picks that I have in the book, because it's one of those old-fashioned, traditional bakeries that there's not too many of those places left at anymore, and they lean on some of the seasonal stuff, and And like I said, cherries and blueberries are on the market right now. So this has been made where it looks like an American flag. You've got a quarter of the pies in blueberry, and the other three quarters are in cherry. And we have strips of pastry dough across the top, along with a few pastry stars that are cut out. Oh, man that if, right if, there is the Midwest. If that doesn't want you to, if that doesn't inspire you to wave a flag, I don't know what does.
0: Right, right. And it is July mm-hmm. and what better time to dig into something like that. You wanted to show something that, you know, was really, or wanted to bring something you mentioned that was speaking to what we can have here locally and what makes St. Louis kind of sing. Um, We've talked to a lot of different people about that, about the different options and what we grow here and supporting local farms, local bakeries, that kind of thing. How critical do you think it is to, well, I know you're going to say it's quite critical, but talk about how critical it is then to support not only the restaurants here on your list, but then just the place down the street from you and the other little restaurants that we have popping up around here. You know, people will say... It's
1: People always say that it is vital to keep these industries going, these little small mom and pops, but they never really talk about why besides it being mom and pop. Well, of course, mom and pop is a good thing, but what makes it really special is is that that individually owned restaurant or food purveyor or producer – you're not going to have anybody that's standing in the wings to take their place. It's something unique. It's something special. It's something that defines where you are. Uh, the wine in industry has a great term. It's called terroir. Are you familiar with that? Mm-mm. Terroir means sense of place. Basically, it talks about just not only the soil and the culture of the things that are grown and produced in the region, but it talks about the culture and how that contributes to that community. And without those small little bakeries, without the farms, without those small, unique little restaurants, whether they're holes in the wall, whether it's a tamale vendor sitting on the street to a white tablecloth restaurant like Tony's or Al's with great history— we would lose so much without them. We would lose our sense of place on who we are. Yeah. Culinarily.
0: And again, we keep talking about how important it is to be able to tell stories of people through food. As you're, In your work as a food historian specifically, do you have any favorite stories or favorite maybe origins of things or favorite discoveries that you've been able to make about something that you didn't expect maybe? Here in St. Louis, or wherever, or wherever. Oh, I mean, St. Louis is
1: preferred, but <laughs> oh, of course. Oh. Well, you know, I, I always go back to Al's because it's tucked in on the side of the riverfront here, on um, Second and Biddle. It's been, it is the oldest, continually run family operation in St. Louis restaurant, um, and. It's a who's who of of who dined and came to St. Louis from Frank Sinatra, who brought his dog in to eat steak with him, to uh, the the, the latest rock groups that come in and they fall into their door for a great steak. It's a wonderful place. And then if I go further out, I'll go into places, talk about family history. Adam Pukta Winery, that is also one of the oldest family run wineries wine in the country. And it's fabulous because it started not with a bottle of uh, operation, but as a jug wine, where just average people that couldn't really afford a whole lot. You, you Back in the day when you would take your own jug or your own uh, bottles and you'd have them filled at the winery. Well, today that's still running and it's mm-hmm. great opportunities uh, for class,
0: award-winning Missouri wines. The history of a lot of these places is not necessarily what keeps them going because it needs to continue, you know, you need to continue providing quality service, quality food, quality Mm -hmm. stories. You know, people want to go there and have a good experience. What do you think is the next Owls? What are some of the places or the... Arenas, the chefs who you think are going to be in the next edition of Unique Eats and Eateries. Though it is pretty current, I will say well, you've got the Clementines and things on here. Well, Rick Lewis is, is wonderful. Grace Meat and Threes. Grace Meat and
1: Threes. I, eat, I and ate three. there last weekend. They, they have uh, they have so much on the menu. They have so much. Uh, Inspiration in what they do with their food. It, it, it is fabulous on what the things they are doing. Uh, tu Ren, who was um, the executive chef over at uh, The Crossing down in Clayton, he's doing some fabulous things with uh, doing his own touch to the classic Italian and French foods. And he's becoming very, very good and well-known within the restaurant community. As far as who's next, who's the next star, I'd have to go down to uh, Forest Park Community College and take a look at the culinary school and see... Who's really has passion behind the stove? And that's where you're going to find the
0: next star. And one of the things that I think is exciting about that is they might not start shining in St. Louis. They might find their shine in another place. I mean, Gerard Kraft came home as star in so many ways. Um, You have the fact that we opened, we have a Shake Shack here now, but the founders there could only really go shine in other cities before bringing it back here to St. Louis. But it seems like that's another recurring theme we keep finding is that people want to establish something here. Why do you think that is? That's because
1: we have a sense of hospitality and a sense of service that other restaurant towns don't really have. We have a, a very rich tradition. Um, we're nice here. We are nice, <laughs> but we understand service and we understand what hospitality means. And so many of these people that have left and come back, they'll credit that base of hospitality and service to the success of their
0: restaurant. We've talked a lot about how there is such diversity here. Um, Unfortunately, though, you're from St. Louis. We're all from St. Louis here. That's not um, unfortunate. Well, no. I will get there. I will get there. That's not the unfortunate part. The unfortunate part is that being from St. Louis, you also wind up defending it a lot because not only is outside perception sometimes that we're divided, but internally sometimes we see divisions in this town and in the surrounding area. What role do you think food could play in the current... Making St. Louis as it is right now the best version of itself or a better version of itself, healing those divisions.
1: Nothing can bring you together faster than a table. Share food, you've got a friend. I mean, look at the latest... Uh, promotion that the uh, Convention and Visitors Bureau Explore St. Louis is doing. We have John Goodman. What is he talking about? He's talking about all the great food. And
0: it's all food actually, that was actually made in St. Louis for that shoot, which I is know.
1: Cool. And it's enough said. You, you come on in, have a meal, share a drink, share conversation. You've got a friend.
0: Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for talking to us today. Oh, it was great. Happy summertime and happy pie eating. I think we should do that. <laughs> thank
1: you. Ooh la la.
0: eats st louis is a five on your side production i'm abby larico executive producer is dory olmos join our conversation on instagram because we want to hear from you we're at abby eats st louis what's the best food book you've ever read what's your go-to source for new food ideas and let us know about the food stories you're curious about be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast if you're feeling generous maybe even leave us a review and as always seize the plate